day, and welcome to the COVID-19 Guidelines and Coping Strategies for Bone Marrow Stem Cell Transplant Patients and Their Loved Ones During the COVID-19 Pandemic Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Jennifer Gillette. Please go ahead. Thank you, John, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Yes, my name is Jennifer Gillette, and I am the staff social worker at the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link. I'd like to welcome everyone to this month's program. Uh, well, actually, our second program for the month. We'll have another one in a couple of weeks, but we brought a special one for you today so you're aware of the guidelines and coping strategies for bone marrow and stem cell transplant patients and their loved ones during the COVID-19 pandemic. A special thank you to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and to Jazz, Insight, Pharmacyclics, and Janssen and our link partners for making this program possible. Uh, one thing I want to let everyone know today uh, before I do our basic introduction is I also saw an email this morning that um, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is offering a $250 financial aid to anyone right now that is dealing with strain um, during this COVID-19 pandemic. You don't have to have had COVID-19. Um, I'm sure there's a limit on how many they can give out, but they are um, offering that if anyone needs some extra financial support right now. Anyway, back to today. Um, our outline for today is I'm going to give you a basic introduction about um, the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, in case you're not familiar with us. And then we're going to have our speaker, Christina Ferraro, a nurse practitioner from the Cleveland Clinic, go over guidelines and um, I will go over some coping techniques, and then we're going to open the call to questions for about half of this call. Uh, so anyway, for those who may not be familiar with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, our mission is dedicated to helping individuals and their families from diagnosis through survivorship. We provide resources, support, and education. Some of the resources we provide to help families navigate their transplant journey are books, webinars, podcasts, blogs, our lunch and learn calls, like the one you're on today, and we have these on a variety of topics, such as chronic graft-versus-host disease, disease-specific information, caregiving, coping. So uh, if you registered today, you will be getting updates on that information, and you are welcome to sign up for any of those programs. We also have a wonderful peer support program if anyone wants to talk to someone who has gone through a bone marrow transplant. So if you're interested in any of these services, please feel free to reach out. Before we begin today's program, I would like to review a few housekeeping items to maximize the experience of everyone on the call today. First, be mindful and please try to be concise with your questions. I, I have a feeling today we will have a lot of questions and so it's important that we answer as many in the time we have. Also, please know that the information provided in this program is meant to stimulate conversation with your own healthcare provider and is not meant to replace your individualized medical plan. So now on to our educational program. We are so thankful to have our first speaker with us here today. Uh, Christina Ferraro uh, completed her Bachelor of Science in Nursing at The Ohio State uh, university in 2001 and then received a Master of Science in Nursing and certification as a family nurse practitioner from Kent State University in 2016. She joined the Cleveland Clinic in 2003 as a registered nurse on the inpatient blood and marrow transplant unit 
and became an outpatient BMT nurse coordinator in 2006. Christina currently leads the Victor Fazio MD BMT Cancer Survivorship Program at the Cleveland Clinic and has experience in seeing patients with graft-versus-host disease and patients in long-term follow-up, emphasizing patient empowerment, education, and support. Christina is an active author, presenter, and educator on the topic of BMT and survivorship and participates in research focused on survivorship and post-transplant complications. Thank you, Christina, for all you are doing right now, and uh, thank you for making the time for us here today. Thank you um, for having me. So I'm going to give a lot of information, um, and it's not information that I made up. It's, it's found a lot on the CDC website, the American Society for Cellular Therapy, um, which is ASTCT, and the American Cancer Society. Um, I just want to acknowledge that I understand there is a lot of fear right now with COVID-19 and that the data out is, is pretty limited, not just for our cancer patients and our transplant patients, but in general, we're learning new things every day. So if this information changes and, and what we review today is, is challenged later, it's likely because we are learning more information as we go. And so up-to-date information is is available on the CDC website, um, ASTCT, and the American Cancer Society. And your providers are also doing a lot of reading and a lot of keeping up to date on the latest and greatest. Um, there are no specific treatments or a vaccine yet, but I do know there's a lot of information out on how we are going to look at certain medications and certain treatment plans for COVID treatments, and they are working on a vaccine already. So as soon as that becomes available, we will recommend it for patients. Um, there is a lot of false information floating around out there, and I've, I've heard it, and I've had people ask me about it. Um, so I'm going to review those first. So there is unfortunately no food, no vitamins. Um, no real medication currently that can treat or prevent COVID-19. Hair drying does not kill COVID-19. It is not carried by mosquitoes. Weather does not affect you um, or does not affect COVID-19. So if you live in Southern Florida, you are still at risk for COVID-19. And ibuprofen does not make COVID worse. And all ages can get COVID, not just the older population. There was a thought at one point that really only the older people were being affected. Um, it, the virus itself can cause very mild symptoms to very severe symptoms requiring um, a lot of medical support and ICU potentially. So we do look at maybe what the certain populations that may be at higher risk. And so those are older patients, um, patients who have comorbidities. So what that means is other diseases, lung disease, diabetes, liver disease, patients who are on dialysis, um, obesity, heart disease, immune-compromised patients, which would include active cancer patients, active treatment patients, and transplant patients. And 
the question of, well, have I been far enough out of my transplant that I need to be considered in that high-risk category or not? And that is a very loaded question because not every person is different or not every person is the same. Sorry, everyone is different and unique. Auto patients, I typically tell people to, um, with or without COVID-19, that they're probably more at risk for infections in the first six months to a year. Um, allogeneic transplant patients are more at risk during the initial transplant while on any immunosuppression, if they have chronic graft-versus-host disease, if they are requiring IVIG long-term, um, and typically tell people that until their vaccinations are complete, that they should be more cautious. Now, cancer patients who have completed treatment are likely as susceptible to the virus as the general population, but everybody is so unique, and what your immune system is built of is not just your white blood cells or your neutrophils. There are antibodies and T cells and B cells, and all of those things need to be incorporated into the information for your providers to tell you, are you considered high risk or not? So these are all general guidelines I'm giving you right now. For you specifically, it will be always important for you to touch base with your team to say, how risky am I? Right now, I like people to err on the side of caution. So if you are nervous, I would just say, put yourself in that high-risk category. So what is, how do we prevent it? How do we keep it from spreading? How do we help ourselves by preventing the spread? And how it spreads is when an infected person coughs or sneezes and in those droplets has the virus and it lands either on the person's face so if they're within six feet of each other, that, that droplets can end up in someone's face, in someone's mouth, if they're talking too close or if they happen to stand too close. You can also pick it up by touching a surface that has been coughed or sneezed upon and then touching your face. So it is not airborne that we know of, but it is in the droplets, and that's very similar to how other viruses are spread, like the flu or old SARS and MARS kind of things. So these are all very typical ways of viruses to, to spread and move. This is a new virus, so none of us have ever seen it before. So that makes it possible that we just don't have the antibodies in us to fight it off. So how do we keep from getting it? So the most important thing is to stay home. Social distancing, keeping yourself at least six feet away from someone when you are out, avoid handshaking, wash your hands all the time. You can wash your hands with soap and water. It does kill the bug. Use hand sanitizer if that's not available. And it has to have 60% alcohol in it. A lot of the um, Homeopathic hand sanitizers may not, so you want, would want to look at the label to make sure. Um, limit traveling. Really should only be on an airplane if you have to be. And I get that some people, when going to transplant, have to travel to do that. And so the best thing to do would be make sure you have that hand sanitizer in your pocket, that you try to stay as far away from people as you can. Take hand sanitizing wipes or take Clorox wipes and wipe down your seat in the airplane and the tray tables and clean those 
areas that you would be touching. Um, if you are sick, you should not travel. Call in. Call the providers. Call your physicians and say, what do I do? Make sure to cover if you are coughing or sneezing. Masks are always the big question. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? There is no data that says wearing a mask will prevent you from getting sick, but there is information that if you wear a mask when you are sick, you will avoid spreading it. So I do recommend wearing it if you have a cough. Um, when you go out, whether you're going to the grocery store or whether you're going to your doctor's office, um, ideally you would stay home to not spread it. But if you want to wear a mask for comfort, to, to tell people to stay away from you, that is okay. Nobody's going to tell you not to. Um, if you do not have a surgical mask, which is what the recommendations are, it's the kind of mask we use to prevent flus from spreading, then you can make a mask with cloth. Um, there's lots of directions online you can find. If you know somebody who's handy with a needle and thread, you can make masks and then clean them after each use. So they could just go in the, in the washing machine on hot in, um, and launder it in the warmest water you can. And that will help keep the, the supply of masks and gloves okay out into the community and at the healthcare system. You do not need to wear gloves out in public. In fact, there is a lot of information that if you are wearing gloves and you're going to the grocery store, you're actually more at likely to have this sort of false sense of security because you are wearing masks or gloves and you will touch your face and you will touch multiple things and then touch your face. And so it is important that you wash your hands a lot and try not to touch as much as you can, but hand washing Hand sanitizing is going to be your best bet, not gloves, because you would have to change your gloves every time you change, you touch something. We do recommend gloves when you're cleaning and disinfecting around your house, and then when you take them off, wash your hands with soap and water. Um, when you are cleaning your home, a lot of people want to know, well, how do I keep my caregiver, my patient, my family member safe? Washing down the things that touch the most is going to be very important. So the doorknobs, which nobody ever thinks to wash normally, light switches, um, keyboards, phones. We are all on our phone a lot these days, partly because you can't go out and do stuff. So make sure you wipe it down. And the best way to wipe down that is with either alcohol swabs or you can make a spray with 70% alcohol and spray down your electronics. Um, and that will help keep them from growing stuff. Um, you want to follow any cleaning products label that you have. So on the label will tell you for disinfecting, for sanitizing, for cleaning. Disinfecting is different than sanitizing. So you want to disinfect things. And sometimes that means you have to leave things wet for 10 minutes. Every product is different, and that's going to be important to look at. If you don't have any of those products, you can make your own with bleach by doing five tablespoons or a third of a cup of bleach per gallon of water or four teaspoons per quart. Um, and you would want to keep the bleach on the something for a minute. It would need to lay there for a minute. Now, bleach will obviously bleach your stuff, so I wouldn't do it unless you didn't have any other options. But you also want to make sure that none of your cleaning supplies are expired, including bleach or alcohol, rubbing alcohol. Um, you can use a rubbing alcohol 
solutions for soft surfaces. If you can launder your soft surface, that's the best, and use the warmest water per the manufacturer's label. If you don't have any of that, you can clean surfaces with soap and water. So lots of soap and water is useful. It will kill the bug and will help protect you. Um, so there are a lot of um, questions about what about my treatment? What about my visits to the hospital? What do I do? Well, I will tell you that we are all looking at our patients individually. We are looking at what their disease is doing, what their risk is, whether their disease can tolerate staying on routine treatment and avoiding transplant during peak COVID-19. So that's really what we're trying to do is avoid the um, surge of patients coming into the hospital. And so by doing that, we are going to protect our patients because they won't be as susceptible if we are timing it correctly. Now, that being said, if your disease is aggressive, if your disease is not the kind that can wait, we are continually proceeding with transplants, with cancer treatment, with CAR T-cell therapies, IVIGs, all of those things that will help protect you or treat your disease will still be done. What we say with essential versus non-essential treatments or visits to the hospital, it doesn't mean that we will not care for you. What that means is, is that it may look a little different than you're used to. We may substitute with telemedicine visits, which is either face-to-face -face or on the phone. Um, we're even okay at this stage um, to do FaceTime with patients. So if you don't have all of the technology information or the technology um, savviness that some people do, I don't always, um, it is nice to be able to do that and connect with your providers, with your team that way, because we're still here to take care of you. Um, there are some information specifically for transplants which is more guidelines from the um, ASTCT group on how we screen and how we screen patients and donors and what we're doing to try and help protect everyone as much as we can. So we are more apt to test those people who have symptoms. And what are those symptoms? Shortness of breath, coughing, fevers, chest pain, um, feeling like they uh, can't breathe, that pressure in your chest, um, if you get confused, difficulty to arouse, um, and there is now some new data on having diarrhea. Now, of course, transplant patients are on a lot of medications. A lot of medications, anytime you put a pill in your mouth, the side effect can be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and constipation. So how do I know if it's COVID or not? Well, you don't. That's why you call your team, and we will then talk to you through it and decide if you need to be tested or not. We are recommending that every new patient coming in for their transplant, whether they are symptomatic or not, are tested for COVID-19. Because if we, we do know that there are some people who will not have symptoms, but who have the virus. And so we wanna make sure that we don't immune suppress that person coming in the door. We will delay the transplant for two weeks to make sure that we don't get infection. Um, we do x-rays to see what's going on in the lungs if we need to. Um, 
donors will delay if we need to by 28 days to make sure everything's okay. Um, we are starting to cryopreserve the cells ahead of time to make sure that everybody is happy and healthy coming in the door and we're not worried about maybe the donor getting sick while the patient has started their treatment. So we were co the, the recommendations now are to collect early and freeze them so that when the patient is ready to come, we are ready to go. So what happens if one of us gets sick? What should we do? So the most important thing is to quarantine yourself into one room. If you have separate bathrooms, that's great. If you don't, I get that too. Um, so you pick a room, you make sure that it's supplied with all of the things you would need, like tissues, a call button kind of thing. So like your phone, make sure your phone's in there so you can call your family if you need to, um, or text them from another room. Make sure they have snacks, water, um, so that they're really out of that room as little as possible. Um, you're going to make them eat in the room. They'll only come out to go to the bathroom. And if they are using a bathroom that other people use, they need to wipe down the bathroom when they're done. So they need to wipe the handles and the toilet and the sink down with, like, either a spray and paper towels or um, with those Clorox wipes. Um, a dedicated trash can is good so that all you have to do is close up the trash can, throw it all, you know, the liner and throw it all away, and then wash your hands with soap and water. The problem with this particular virus is that the incubation is two to 14 days, we think, after exposure. And we're using, basing that information on other viruses that we've seen. It does spread easily and it is um, in the community. It's not just those people who have traveled to the to high risk areas. So we also have some information that it's possible to spread if you don't have symptoms. and there may be, maybe, remember may, we don't know for sure, maybe spreading one to three days before symptoms occur, which is very similar to flu. But as we know with the flu, when you have symptoms, you are the most risky for spreading it. So you're more contagious when you have symptoms. Even if you can spread it within the first one to three days before symptoms occur, we still know that when you have symptoms, you're definitely more contagious. Um, we need to see two negatives on a swab to know if you're completely cleared, um, which we do weeks apart. So two negatives, at least a week apart. Um, and then it's, it's important to call your team if you have any of the symptoms so that we can evaluate. I have heard some information that if you lay on your tummy when you don't, when you're like feeling a little bit coffee and you don't feel great, but you're not you're feeling like you have to go into the hospital or they say you don't need to come in. Um, if you have a mild case of COVID-19 and you're riding this out at home, which is possible, don't, don't think that just because you're high risk and just because you're, um, gonna, if you get the virus that it's going to automatically bring you into the hospital, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Some people, it's a cold. Some people, it's more than a cold. And so we take each person very individually. And But we have seen that if you are on your tummy when you're sleeping or resting, you actually feel better. You're breathing better. And oxygen is getting delivered more evenly through your body. So that's one thing that you can do just for comfort. Other things that we use is really just symptom management. So Tylenol, um, Mucinex. 
Some people use, you know, if they have a reactive airway, sometimes inhalers. So these are all things that we use to symptom manage it, but really there's, there's no specific other treatments. They are using, there is a lot of studies out right now on a lot of different medications. Um, some of them um, are what we've been hearing, the chloroquine and the um, hydroxychloroquine, which is the medications that we use for um, other diseases. And they are looking at that. They are looking at um, ribavirin, which is the medication we use for RSV. They're looking at other antivirals. Um, but unfortunately, that, those particular ones are very interactive with cyclosporin and tecrolimus, so not always the best options for our patients. Um, remdesivir, which is um, a medication that they're also looking at. Um, a lot of these are being used for those patients who are in the hospital who are, who are struggling a lot, and they are doing a lot of really good research to find what's going on and, and what will be the best drug to use moving forward. They're also looking at interferons and tocilizumab, which is a drug we use for CAR-T patients when they have um, the cytokine release syndrome, which is some of what we're seeing. Um, also, there's um, other medications that we're looking at that, that there's been data saying, oh, you need to stop this medication, specifically certain blood pressure medi medications called ACE inhibitors. Um, and there is no data to suggest that these should be stopped or started in certain patients with COVID-19. IVIG is not routinely recommended to prevent or treat uh, COVID-19, but people are out there getting IVIG because they've always been getting IVIG. So you don't necessarily have to stop your treatment, but it's not recommended to treat um, because the IVIG products out there right now do not have specific antibodies to COVID-19. So they're not going to help. Now, maybe down a year or two from now, maybe that is the case, and IVIG will be recommended, but not, for, not now. Um, steroids are being used very minimally and often are being used only in the ICUs um, for the acute respiratory distress syndrome, which requires intubation. And so they are using those steroids sparingly um, because, as we know, steroids are wonderful, but they have all sorts of horrible side effects that go along with it. And we don't want to make anything worse. That is the key. Um, we have seen people get better, that we've had people leave the ICU and go. There has been um, no major information for transplant patients yet who have had it and been released. I have not heard of um, any specific data yet, but we're always keeping up with it. We have not had a patient knock on wood here that has had it, um, though we are screening. And we are screening every person who comes into our facility. So when we go into work, I get my temperature taken. I get asked if I'm having diarrhea, coughing, shortness of breath. Um, they ask me if I've been around someone who's been diagnosed with COVID-19 because they really want all providers need to be protecting their patients and each other. We need to make sure we're doing this as a team. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to stay inside all the time. We do encourage people to go out, walk, get exercise, open the windows. It's going to be spring soon, hopefully. I live in Ohio. There's still very cold. 
39 degrees today, so it's not quite window opening season, but it's going to get there. And it'll be important to stay busy and stay active, but that six-foot rule is very important. So that you maintain that. That's going to be important. Um, so I'm just reviewing a lot of these questions that we had ahead of time that I want to make sure that I tried to hit. Um, there was some questions about postponing vaccines um, and other non-essentials. Really, the vaccines have a very flexible um, schedule, especially the inactive vaccines like your hepatitis vaccines and your Pneumovax and some of those other ones. We do recommend the flu vaccine because it's still around, the flu is, and if we can prevent dual viruses, that would be safer for you. So we do recommend still getting the flu vaccine. Um, there were some questions about is it safe to go into the facilities for lab work, for treatment, those kind of things. I think one of the things I've been telling people is when you go get your lab done, which is going to be still very important so that we keep up with you, is calling ahead, finding out from the lab or the facility when a not busy time would be, and then going there. I've had, I've heard of other centers, which we don't do necessarily, but other primary care providers' offices and other facilities have a system now where you wait in the car and they call you when it's your turn to come in. So those are other options that you could do. I do not, um, I don't think that you should avoid um, having your treatment if you need your treatment. These are things that unfortunately we're still gonna see. Um, we still need to treat the cancer. We still need to treat graft versus host disease. We still need to do all of those things. And we're not going to stop treating. That's, that is a big takeaway point from here. Um, routine screenings for other cancers, like mammograms, if you don't have a lump, is something that can wait a few months. If you have a lump, that's not waiting. We're going to do it. It doesn't matter. If you have symptoms of blood in your stool, then we need to check why you're having blood in your stool. If you're just doing a routine colonoscopy because it's been 10 years, it can wait a couple of months. But symptoms are different. So if you're having symptoms of anything, it's not related to COVID-19, but related to your overall health, you still need to call and you still need to be evaluated. That's, that is nobody's going to turn you away. Um, those are still important. So that is very important to remember that you call in, you say, this is what's going on, I need to be seen, and I will, and you go in. Um, you don't need to wear a mask when you come into the facility. If it makes you feel more comfortable, remember, that's okay. Make sure you wash your hands a lot. Remember, no gloves. Um, so I've just given you a bunch of information, and I'm going to let now you guys can ask, ask any questions, and hopefully I'll be able to answer them. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. A voice prompt on the phone line will indicate when your line is open. Please state your name before posing your question. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal. And our first question, caller, please announce yourself. Hi, this is Denise Dansler. Um, my question is, will any of the medications, specifically ser serolimus, 
um, be uh, affected with the COVID-19, like as far as shortages or any interruptions with the, the production of the medications? Not that I've heard of. Um, I have not heard that there's been a shortage or that it will be a shortage. But obviously, if that were to change, we would tell you guys. We would your your team would call and tell you if there was a shortage. But I haven't heard anything at this point. Okay, thank you. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Yeah, my name is Lewis. I wanted to know if um, benzethylmelium chloride uh, USP is just as effective as alcohol. I see hand sanitizers out there with that ingredient, but not alcohol in it. I'm sorry, what was it, what was it again? I can't, I didn't hear you. Um, benzethylmelium chloride. Oh, yes. So the CDC has on its website has a list of um, sanitizers that will kill off the bugs, including COVID-19. And that list does include a whole bunch of other things than, than, um, than just alcohol. I am trying to remember, um, it should say on the bottle, um, and I haven't looked at my bottles at home, so I probably should, but it should say on there CDC um, list N, I believe it is. And it'll tell you what it will kill. So if you go on the website, the CDC website, it, it and you go to um, how to sanitize and how to clean, um, it actually has a, on the front page, it shows where um, where the list is. You click on that, and then you click on the EPA-registered household disinfectant. And the EPA has, um, and it's list N, and it does have a list of things like hydrogen peroxide, um, sodium chloride, sodium hypochlorite. What was the one you had again? I'll look real quick. It was um, benzethonium, B-E-N-Z-E-T-H-O-N-I-U-M. I, this is a very long list, um, like many, many pages, but I, I think you can search, so I'm going to do that. We'll see what happens. Um, so there's definitely different, thymol is one, there's definitely um, other options, so it's not just alcohol. I, it's taking a very long time to pull up the whole list. So I don't have it on off the top of my head, but um, I'm not seeing it on the list. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Hi, this is Nancy. I was just wondering if you could address if there's any additional things we need to do if we have graphosis host of the lung bronchiolitis obliterin specifically? I think that the most important thing is to, is the social distancing for you um, to make sure that your contact with outside people is minimal. That will protect you the most along with hand washing. Um, but there's no specific uh, 
things I have for people who are on oxygen or who, people who have um, bronchial obliterans or somebody who has COPD, the most important thing is that if you notice a change in your breathing and your cough, which you may already have, if you notice it's starting to get a little worse or you start having a little bit different symptom, you know your body better than anybody, and we would test you. We would want to know what we were dealing with earlier. So that would be for you to give your team a call and say, I don't feel right. I think there's something going on, and, and, and be evaluated sooner rather than later, just so we know. And we can check your for oxygen requirements and make sure that you're staying well oxygenated and avoid other things. Thank you. You're welcome. And our next question, caller, please announce yourself. Yeah, hi. Uh, this is Scott Nelson. Um, I was wondering about uh, some detailed laundry instructions, like what uh, cleaner to use and how hot to make the water and how hot to make the dryer. So they don't have specifics. Part of it is making sure you don't ruin your clothes. So in the label, we'll tell you the hottest temperature you can do. So you just look through all of that. Um, soap and water, remember, when you wash your hands, you're not washing it with scalding hot water. You're not boiling your clothes. You're not boiling your hands. So you want to make sure that you're not going to ruin your clothes. And using the dish deter or the dish detergent, sorry, the laundry detergent is your soap and then the water. And you could put it in. It'll be washed for however many minutes your laundry goes for. And it should be enough. And then you just follow the instructions. Really, the, the key is the warmest water you can without hurting your clothes. Thank you. Welcome. And our next question. And there's no specific, oh, sorry. There's no specific laundry. Yes, I, on we're the talking list. about washing everything. Does the washing kill or does it just remove the virus? The washing will kill it, yeah. Just like soap and water on your hands. I, I missed it. I was I was off, I was muted. What did you say? Oh, I said washing will kill it. Um, it will just like washing your hands. Yeah, so it won't just like get the because then it'll end up everywhere, right? So when you wash your hands, you are washing it. You're killing it. Good. It does the not thing, like soap and water for sure. If a person is home alone and distanced from anybody for a few weeks. But has deliveries. You haven't addressed a deliver people giving you things. You're you're right. The delivery is one thing I forgot. So the delivery of um, items to your home um, is is very appropriate. I think that's that is going to be your safest way of getting groceries because only one person is going to bring it to you. Right. There is no definitive timeline of the death when it's on surfaces, but. Um, it is doesn't like being on a surface long. So it's not going to live a long time. It's not like seven days later you're still going to have it. Um, I would say if you were real worried, you could wipe down things before you put them in the, the refrigerator. And if it's something in cardboard that you think you could live without for a day, you could do that and you'd probably be fine. But I haven't heard anybody getting it from their deliveries. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Wash your hands a lot. That's the biggest key. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. I think this is me. My name is Lynn. 
Um, I have a sister who is six months out with her stem cell transplant. She is also on dialysis, and she has recently um, moved in with my folks, um, 86 and 89. My mom is in quarantine. She will have her COVID-19 test tomorrow. My question is, do I need to move my sister from there? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, obviously, ideally, if you could, that's fine. Um, if you can't, um, then she would just need to make sure she avoids that room altogether and tries to use a separate bathroom, and your mom should wear a mask so that she doesn't cough and get other people sick, at least until you have your COVID testing back. Because if it's negative, um, you know, most of the tests are 70 to 80% accurate. So you would then have a much, if it's mm-hmm. negative, then you would have a pretty good idea of what you were dealing with. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, if you would like to ask a question, please press the star key followed by the one key on your telephone keypad. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Hello, caller? Yes, hello? Hello? Hi. Hi, yeah. Hi. What's your, can you have a question? Yes, yes, I can. If, if somebody has been assumed to be positive for COVID-19, has had the symptoms but did not qualify for a test, at what point... Um, would they be considered to be cured once their symptoms are gone so that they are considered to not be infectious and to be able to come out of uh, isolation and quarantine? Um, So they think it's a couple of weeks. That being said, um, when we have patients who, um, or when the guidelines really are stating that if you've had symptoms, you start at day one of symptoms, and you wait 28 days. 28 days from the start yes. of symptoms, and then you would be from the start of symptoms. non-infectious. 28 days. Okay. Well, thank Correct. you. You're welcome. And one of, can I this put up a question also... about washing? Of course. So just wondering if you could answer a question about washing fresh fruits and vegetables. Seems to be a lot of controversy out there about how to do it, what to do it with soap or vinegar or benzoyl peroxide, that kind of thing? Um, no, I typically just tell people to wash them with, with a lot of running water. Um, and if you can peel the outside of it, you peel the outside of it. Um, but really a good good running water is all all I've ever told my patients to do. I do know that there are certain people who use vinegar and water, which is also okay. I talked to the dietitian. He says that's fine. So you can either use a lot of running water or you can do vinegar with like a white vinegar so it doesn't taste weird with water and just sort of soak them and then they should be fine. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And our next caller, caller, please announce yourself. Hi, I was wondering if you can use um, soap and water to clean counters and handles and things 
um, if that's just as effective as having a, uh, a chemical spray. Yes, it is. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, but yes, you can just soap and water um, and leave it on there for a little bit and then clean it off. Like, leave it on there for a minute or two and then wash it off. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Yeah, it's Michael in San Francisco. I'd like to know about takeout food, and if I bring it home and put it in the microwave, will the microwave kill the virus? And if so, how long do I have to microwave? I don't think I know that answer. I don't think anybody does. I think that um, getting your food to a healthy temperature is always a good idea. Um, so if the food comes in, it's kind of lukewarm, I would warm it up anyway. To And the internal temperature is based on what the food item is, but typically it's about 160, 170. Um, and so I would just get a thermometer and stick it in the food when you're microwaving it. Other things is when you take things out of your takeout and you put it in a container, one of your containers, then just make sure you wash your hands after you do that when you're throwing away all that you throw away all the takeout containers, wash your hands, and then mess with the food. Thank you. Welcome. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Hello, caller. This is Kenyatta. Michael kind of question. Um, I had a question in regards to take food. Um, if you thought or if you would recommend it or do you kind of advise people to try to cook their own meals? I mean, I think it's always, it's always great to cook your own meals. They tend to be healthier. They tend to be controlled because you can do it yourself. But I also know, I, you know, you get bored with cooking your own food and you don't want to always do it. So I do, I think takeout is fine. I think it's just being very cautious and washing your hands before you eat and making sure that you, um, it's not from somebody new, but that's just in general and you don't want to risk something you've never had before. Okay. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Oh, hi. Um, my name is Sherry. Um, I'm a year post-transplant and doing very well, um, but I'm on a maintenance dose of Vedeza and seven days of Venetoclex. Um, so I know T-cells are low. That's uh, I know mm -hmm. I'm high risk because of that, but the uh, Venetoclex on top of that, like am I super high risk or <laughs> where would that fall? I'm not sure we have that super high risk defined necessarily. I think... I think you're definitely probably more susceptible than someone who finished treatment and is on current chemotherapy. I do okay. not believe that what type of chemo or what type of treatment you have changes the risk. Once you're okay. on treatment, you have the risk. Okay. So just same, almost transplant precautions minus the types of food in a sense and the distancing, of course. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I will tell you, and I don't know if this gives anybody comfort, but what we tell patients to do 
after an allogeneic or even an autotransplant initially. These are all the things that now the world has to do. So True. you guys have already you guys are already doing this, which is amazing. So I think that's why we haven't seen as many cancer patients and as many transplant patients in the last month. It's because you guys are already really good at making sure you're washing your hands and you're avoiding the sick people and you're doing all the right things anyway. So that's that's a really big deal because this is what everybody needs to do. And they're they're in shock. They're in culture shock doing all this now. But this is kind of old news for you. And you guys can say, hey, guys, this is what we need to do. And it works. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Uh, Joanne, and I'm calling to see if you're totally on your own, no one's coming to you or anything. The, the necessity of washing hands and uh, counters and all that, is that is that necessary? I mean, I just think in general you should wash your hands all the time um, because it's just a good habit to be in. Um, that being said, you are definitely at lower risk of getting something because you are isolated um, and you're not having a lot of influx. I still think it's a good idea to clean periodically. Um, okay. We're not just dealing with COVID. We're dealing with other things. So you just want to make sure you're just keeping things clean. Um, right. And, and when you have deliveries come in, like food delivery or whatever, you want to make sure that you're washing your hands after that because that's the outside contact. Picking up mail and stuff, yep. Yeah, and mail and all that stuff. And unfortunately, you know, our, our postal services don't have, um, you know, they don't have hand sanitizer, I don't think, all the time. So Just gloves. <laughs> okay, yeah. thank you very much. You're welcome. Oh, ma'am, there are no further questions in the queue at this time. Okay. Well, thank you so much, John. Um, if anyone has a question come up, you're welcome to come back with you. But uh, now I'm going to give you a few tips on how to cope with everything that's going on right now. We know that everyone is concerned and everybody comes to this pandemic with their own issues, whether it be cancer or other things your family's going through. First of all, just a reminder, we here at NBNT Link are here to support you. Christina has even offered so graciously to um, be able to answer some questions for us. So if you have additional questions even after today's call, you're welcome to send me an email at jennifergillette at nbntlink.org and uh, we will try to get as many of your questions answered as we can. And then um, we also want you to feel supported. Um, you can also even reach out, and I've been trying to help people emotionally through this. Um, but, you know, if you're being triggered right now, I'm not surprised. Uh, as Christina was saying, there's a lot of you that have done social distancing, you've done the fear of the unknown, you've done so many things that this could be opening up a lot more emotion for you than um, someone else. And so do reach out if you need extra support. But here's some basic tips. You know, first and foremost, um, live moment by moment. You know, keep getting these extended deadlines saying, oh, things are going to be closed till April 30th, things might be closed till this date. You know, let's focus on how to get through today and put more energy there 
than necessarily all those later dates because that's when we have a tendency to get really overwhelmed. We always can prepare for long-term things, but then put your energy and your focus on the moment. Also, try not to live and breathe the coronavirus. Um, you know, it's one thing to get summaries, but to sit there and watch the news all day can certainly heighten anxiety. So I encourage you to just really try to um, be aware of how that's affecting you. Uh, follow healthy measures outlined by your doctor. Remember, it's better to invest in your future than to take giant risks right now. So if there's something can be rescheduled or, or things that can be done at a later date, absolutely follow suit there. And then follow healthy measures, of course, outlined by your doctor and the government. You know, it's um, something that we just want to make sure that uh, that social distancing is as hard as it can be and all of that, that we're doing those things. You could try to be a light to others. Some of you might have seen on social media different things people are doing to just try to support each other. Um, you know, maybe there's someone who needs a phone call who's really isolated in this, or maybe you know someone who's out of work now who needs a little help paying their rent. Uh, those kinds of things we can look for and try to just spread some light around. Uh, we also need to uh, live life to the fullest and realize that we have a choice with our day. You know, remember that um, we can sit in bed and be discouraged, but at the same time, too, we can also say, what can we do in the time we have today? Rebuilding and adapting. I'm sure some of you have seen some of the cool things on the news, like maybe loved ones in a nursing home that can't be visited and family members putting a lawn chair outside their window and calling them. You know, we have to think outside the box right now. There's still a lot of things we can do, but we just have to do it in a different way. Allow others to help you. If I had a nickel for every time someone told me I help other people, this is a time to allow others to help you. If a loved one's going to the grocery store, let them drop something off for you. And, um, and then seek support. Reach out to friends, family, or other caring organizations to help. And, um, you know, there's places like United Way that they're helping a lot of people with financial strain right now. Or I had mentioned the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has that grant. Um, if you need those things, reach out or even reach out to your mortgage provider and say, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it this month because my finances are affected. There are supports out there. Um, and reach out to them as well as friends. You know, we still can call people, we can still FaceTime. There's all kinds of options of still staying connected, which can help you just feel stronger. Develop your faith muscles, whatever is spirituality to you. I encourage, this is a wonderful time to feed those. Um, distract yourself from, calm yourself from, and find ways to physically and emotionally vent all this emotion. You know, people taking walks, meditating, watching a funny show. Um, I also encourage you to give yourself some grace right now. Um, right now, we are all doing the best we can. Uh, like even parents that maybe you're someone who's recovering from a transplant and you have kids that you're trying to homeschool as well as all other extra new obstacles in your life. And we have to take a point where we say we're doing the best we can and that's good enough right now. Also, remembering the things to be grateful for. 
Um, if you have a home to be in shelter in, that is a wonderful thing. If you have food in your home, that is a wonderful thing. If you have people that care about you, again, all these things, remembering what we have to get through this is important. And then, of course, um, holding on to hope. Every day there are new discoveries. In the 20-plus years I've been in this field, I've seen amazing discoveries being accelerated. We need to be as safe as we can while we make time for all the medical people to figure this out and flatten the curve. And just like um, Christina was saying, you know, we've got drugs that they're already trying to see how we can use them to help people in this situation, but we certainly just need to give time. And then make time in your day for alone time, and do not expect your family to meet all of your emotional needs. It's never a fair expectation, whether you're in isolation or not. Reach out to others and be patient with your quarantine buddies and communicate what helps you to do better and be accommodating to each other's needs. If we could all be adjusting and, and compromising, it's going to be much easier to get through this. And finally, consider what you're choosing to feed. We can feed fear or we can focus on how we have overcome other areas in our life with fear before and our ability to make it through these very challenging circumstances. Consider the following myth. One evening, an elderly Cherokee brave told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil, it is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, the other is good, joy, peace, love, hope. And the grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one that you feed. So right now, we need to encourage each other and we need to feed hope. We need to feed wisdom, feed resilience, peace, feed joy, and whatever else you feel called to. Let's be a picture of the light of the, and the legacy that we want to be in this world. So if anyone has any additional questions, we can go a little bit longer today, but if not, we will close. So John, can you maybe ask one more time for questions for us? Yes, ma'am. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. And our next question, caller, please announce yourself. Hi, this is Kelly. I just had a follow-up question on a previous question uh, or clarification. You said that um, if someone had not tested for COVID but had some symptoms and they were told to quarantine, you said from day one, um, 28 days they needed to wait. I thought it was 14 days of quarantine. So that was, this is the longest people would need to wait is 28 days. And the reason I use that is because the ASTCT is recommending that donors and patients wait 28 days to make sure that, that they're not sick before they come in. Um, but really, it's, you need those two negatives for two weeks in a row. Um, so that would be 14 days. So 14 to 28 days, but I... I wish I had the specific answer that was 100% valid, but um, I'm hearing both. So if you want to be extra cautious, it's 28 days. Okay. But okay. Four, four, 14 is probably okay, too, um, as long as they're not symptomatic. 
So if you're still coughing, you can't be guaranteed that you're not spreading. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Welcome. And our next question, caller, please announce yourself. Hello, caller. Hello. Hi. This is Carol in Denver, and I have a question about fever. Um, at what temperature is considered a fever, and then if we do reach that temperature, when should we call our um, our treatment team? So I always say 100.4 or higher, so that's our threshold, and you would want to call as soon as you hit it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And our next question, uh, caller, please announce yourself. Grace, is it safe to go on walks with the COVID-19 or not to? Yes, it is safe to go on walks. It is also important when you do go on walks that you're at least six feet away. I also just read something, and I I haven't done my due diligence, but um, if you can avoid being near runners, so if they're running past you, um, just because they're breathing a little bit harder and a little bit faster. So they they need more than six feet distance to keep you protected. But going on walks is recommended. Get you out of the house, walk around the block. That'll Should, be I Should I you wear a mask? You don't need to remember, you don't need to remember that masks aren't going to prevent you getting sick. They prevent people from getting other people sick. So you don't need one necessarily, but you can wear one. I'm, nobody is going to tell you not to. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. And our next question, caller, please announce yourself. Um, hi. I have a question about um, my my sister was telling me that my son, who's the one that was a transplant, should be wearing goggles and a mask when he comes goes out because, I guess, if there's coronavirus in the air, it could go in his eyes. And they were also saying um, that, you know, like when you go to the bathroom, that's also a potential way of the coronavirus getting into your body. Like if your hands are dirty and you touch down there, that it could go in that way too? No. I, that last one is definitely not correct. Um, okay. The, the face. The face shields are used for providers in the hospital when they're dealing with potential um, exposures from somebody coughing directly in their face. Um, okay. But that is not, I've never recommended the face shields for patients or people out in the community. Those are really okay. for the healthcare providers when they're doing the swab because if you sneeze on them, you know, you don't, you don't want that on your face. Um, and then also for if you're they're doing some kind of intervention in your lungs and things like that. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, ma'am, there are no further questions in the queue at this time. Okay. Well, I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. And, again, Christina, I know how busy you are, and we just appreciate you making time for this call. Um, if anyone does have further questions, absolutely feel free to reach out to us. Um, and just so everyone knows, too, we do have another Lunch and Learn this month uh, on the fear of recurrence. And um, 
you will see an email about that, as well as you will also be getting a survey from us. Feel free to come up with any other ideas on how we can be supportive or topics you want to hear about, as well as if there's anything we can do to improve these calls for you. And if you'd like any more information about survivorship issues, you can contact us at 1-800-LINKBMT. But again, thank you everyone for being on the call, and I hope you have a great day. Stay safe. This concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.